children. Don't really know why, but hey, that's just the way life is. But happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here. We usually don't celebrate much with Father's Day, right? Typically, like we're in school during Mother's Day and there's like a project and we think about it for months in advance. And we tell all these great stories about moms. And then what happens on Father's Day? We always show pictures of incompetent dads. And you know, today, because we're talking in this series about failure, it was just so easy for me to say, you know what, let's talk about how dads are failures and funny things about dads and jokes about dads as they mess things up as they usually do. But I said, you know what, we're going to do the opposite. We are going to elevate fathers today, and we are going to talk, before I get into our topic here today, about some epic, not fails, but epic victories of fathers all across this beautiful country of ours. And I'm going to show you some pictures right here, show you how we dads, we carry a lot of load, and y'all moms don't realize. This is the first one I got right here. Here's a picture of a father who decided to help his wife out with some grocery shopping. Okay, and you see right here, this father is a picture of success and helping around the home right here as he efficiently does his shopping and cares for his child. But see, life as a dad isn't all just housework and doing things. Sometimes you got to spend quality time with your children. Okay, so here's quality time with our children. This is how we dads do it right here. In case you can't read the caption, it says, I just give them controllers that are not hooked up and play like this for hours. See, that, that, that's that ingenuity upon which our, our nation is founded, okay, the founding fathers of our nation, okay? But hey, we, we dads, we stretch beyond what's naturally easy for us too. Like we help, especially like when we have boys, it might be easy, but when we have girls, we help out with girls too, okay? And we don't just help out, okay? We lead by example, okay? And we help with ladies' hair and things like that, as, as you see right there. Every now and then when you're caring for your children, your children want to go out and do some sightseeing, things like that. So here's one great dad who wanted to take his kids sightseeing, and he thought of a great way to capture the moment, but he didn't want to let go of his child. <laughs> so that's a fantastic picture. Dads, take note of that one. This is only recommended age three and under for this one right here. And finally... Life as a father is not all fun games. Sometimes you got to play hardball and discipline your children. And here's how we dads do discipline. <laughs> we don't just be the good guys. Sometimes you got to be the bad guy, and we make sure we play our role as well. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here and to those um, who aren't here. But if you have a father somewhere, go wish him happy Father's Day after we finish up right here. Let's get into our topic here for today. For those who are just kind of joining us, we are at the tail end of a series called Fighting Failure. And we are talking all about failing and what happens when we fail. And you may sit there and say, why do I want to come to a church that talks about failure? I am a failure. I want to come to church to talk about success. The truth of the matter is, I could talk about success all day long. We could talk theory. But the experience that most of us relate with most is about failure. Like, we don't relate with the stories of the great saints and how they succeeded as much as how they failed. And what we're looking at is that how that failure doesn't need to define us, but our response to the failure is what ultimately defines us. Here's kind of our key thought that we've been looking at for the past few weeks, is that God wants to work through your mistakes and shortcomings, not in spite of them. We all have weaknesses, and we all make mistakes. We all fall short of where God's perfect plan for us. And God doesn't get frustrated with us. God doesn't get angry with us. God actually uses those failures, and he uses it as part of his plan. And we saw the last two weeks, for those who were here, we looked at 
We're, each week we're looking at a different saint, a different character from the Bible, a great man of God who's gone before us. We saw Elijah and David, great men of God, Elijah and David. But we saw how Elijah and David, they failed just like me and you fail. And if God can use those failures and make something good out of them, then maybe he can make something good out of my failure as well. We saw with Dave, we saw with Elijah, that failure isn't the end of the story. Actually, I should say, it doesn't need to be the end of the story. It wasn't for David, it wasn't for Elijah, and it doesn't need to be for you either. It's all about how we respond to our failure, not just the failure. And as we're kind of going through this series, we're looking at different ways that failure hits us, common patterns that happen to us when we fail. We saw the first week with Elijah, we saw doubt. And we saw oftentimes when we fail and that failure comes, that we start to doubt. And we start to say, God, you're not helping me. And God, you're not on my side. And God, where are you, God? And God, you left me. Or God, you're not working with me right here. And we saw with Elijah how, remember, the first week it was all about our eyes. And we said when our eyes are on God, then we're heroes. But when our eyes are on ourselves, on our circumstances, we're cowards. And we said the only difference between a coward and a hero is where their eyes are looking. And we said we will look up. We will not look around. We will look up when the doubt comes. Second week, we talked about disinterest, all right? Or apathy is another way of saying that. And we looked at David. And we saw how David fell, and David fell so badly. David fell very, 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 very badly. And if we look just at that story of David's fall by itself, we'd say David is the worst person in the whole wide world. But we see how David picked himself up with that. And especially we compare David to his son Solomon. Both fell, both struggled with lust, both struggled with the passions and the ladies, but one of them fought, and one of them got back up, and the other one just kind of laid on the ground and kind of gave into it. David exemplified the verse that we've been kind of looking at for the past several weeks, which is Proverbs 24, 16, that a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. God doesn't look at our failures and say, I'm done with you. Just the same way as a father, I, with my child, I'm teaching one of my kids how to swim. I don't look at them and say, you didn't get it. Get out of here. You're a failure. You still can't get it. I showed you. Paddle, paddle, breathe, breathe. I told you how to do it. God, just the same way with our children, we don't do that. God doesn't do that with us either. He doesn't get frustrated with us. He says, okay, let's go back in the pool one more time. Okay, let's try it one more time. Okay, let me hold your hand this time. And that's the way God works with us in our failures. God doesn't care so much about our state. God cares about where we're going, not so much where we are, but where we're going. And that is never more true than for the topic we're going to discuss today, which as I kind of teased earlier, the enemy of today is discouragement. And I say discouragement, and every one of you says, amen, so be it. <laughs> I don't think there is a person in this room here today who doesn't know what it feels like to be discouraged. Maybe you never doubted. More power to you. Maybe you never got apathetic. More power to you. But there ain't a person in this room who doesn't know what discouragement is. I could go around, I could take a pen right now and a piece of paper, and I could pass it around right here and say, everyone write to me one area where you are currently discouraged in life. And by the time we got to the end, that list would be so long because everyone has one. Whether it's a relationship that we're just discouraged because we keep trying to make it work and trying and just seems we're pouring water into a bathtub where there's no plug. We try, we invest, nothing works. We're discouraged in our career because we're trying to do things the right way and the people who are not doing things the right way are getting to the top. And speaking of people not doing things the right way, I'm a single person and I'm playing by God's rules. I'm doing everything God asked me to do and all the other ones are getting married and I'm sitting there pretending to smile and say congratulations. 
It's easy to get discouraged. I know some people that know discouragement so well, it's like a roommate for them. It's like who they live with. They wake up every morning and say hi to discouragement. And before they go to sleep, they make sure they talk to discouragement because that's how real discouragement has become in our lives. Well, if that's how you're feeling, you will like our hero for today, who's none other than the great apostle Paul. If you look at life of St. Paul, from the little that we know about it, there is not a person in this universe who faced tougher challenges than this man. There's not a person in this universe who faced a greater set of obstacles and everything against him to, like if discouragement, like let's say we kind of personify discouragement, discouragement beat the tar out of St. Paul and smashed him down on underneath and said any normal being would have been crushed under the weight of discouragement. But we see every time the way St. Paul rose to the occasion and he challenged discouragement and he never let himself stay down. Let me show you how tough St. Paul's life was. Let me show you in one verse how tough St. Paul's life was. St. Paul, as we all know, was not a Christian at the beginning of his life. He was actually a persecutor of Christians. His name was Saul. Okay, came from a city called Tarsus. And everyone knew Saul of Tarsus was the most wicked man if you were a Christian. He hated Christians. And the Bible says he breathed out vengeance and fire and fury against Christians. He walked in... Saul of Tarsus walked into this room, everyone went out all the exits, okay? Because everyone was scared of this guy. He had the power to kill, and he was mean, downright mean towards Christians. One day, while he's walking down the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him. And Jesus says, Saul, you got this thing all backwards. Let me explain to you how this works. So you're not supposed to be persecuting me, you're supposed to be preaching me. And Jesus appeared to him and converted him right there on the spot. And after he said that, watch what, watch what the scripture says in Acts chapter 9. This is where the conversion happened. After it happened, God told Saul, go to visit this guy named Ananias, okay? And then Ananias is told, someone named Saul of Tarsus is coming to you. Baptize him. And he said, Lord, I can't baptize him. He's a wicked man. And look what God says to Ananias about Paul. He says, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. I'm okay with that. That part of the verse is no problem. Baptize him. He's a good guy. He's going to do great works. And then look at the next verse. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. When did Jesus say this about St. Paul? At the end of his life? Like, when, when did this come into St. Paul's knowledge that he's going to suffer a lot of things? Day one. <laughs> Welcome to STSA. We're so happy that you're here. Would you like to join the church, become a member? Great. We're going to baptize you. And then I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for the kingdom of God's sake. Welcome to STSA. Go tell your friends. From day one of his life as a Christian, God said, I love you. You're going to be my example. I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. And you know what? Came true. God used St. Paul as an example of what can happen to a person. You cannot paint a picture. Like, let's say you paint a picture of St. Paul. You want to do a portrait of him. You cannot paint a picture like we always see and like the night you can't. Bruises, scars, beatings, like blood, like everywhere. you. If you're going to see him, especially near the end of his life, by the end, I'm sure he had more broken bones 
and more scars and more things that didn't heal and things that weren't working right because of the way that he lived his life. And I'll just show you a passage right here that St. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just recapping near the end of his life about some of the things that he went through. He says, are they all ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Basically, people were saying, you're not a true apostle of Christ. He said, I'm not a true apostle. Let me tell you my resume, why it makes me an apostle. He said, in labors, I'm more abundant. In stripes, meaning whips, more above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Y'all know what 40 stripes minus one means? 39 stripes, five times. Do the math. How many times he took those, those, those whippings? Five times, 40 times each, 39 times each. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipped. Like shipwreck should be enough to kind of thwart anyone's ministry. Like one shipwreck, like Gilligan, like once, twice, like three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, meaning he spent a whole night and a day in the, in, with the Titanic people in the middle of the ocean, no one to save. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things which comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I get tired from reading the list. He lived the list. There isn't a person who exemplified what it means to be beaten down more like St. Paul, more than St. Paul. And for the most part, for the most part, he handled it pretty well. For the most part. But would a man of God like this ever stumble? Would a man of God like this ever get discouraged? Would he ever trip? Would he ever look like we look? Well, we're going to look at a passage today from the same epistle, 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 1. And 2 Corinthians just a little background on this epistle. It was written near the end of near the end of St. Paul's life, and it is of all his letters that he wrote, his most emotional. Like his most heartfelt. Like many of his letters, like he wrote to the Corinthians, this is wrong, this is wrong, don't do that, don't do that. Second Corinthians, when he wrote it the second time around, it was very and actually it's really like his fourth letter to the Corinthians, but we lost two of them. So this this letter, he really opens up and he bears his soul and he makes himself vulnerable in a way that he didn't do in any other his letters. And this is what he says. Okay, we'll pick up the story from the beginning and then we'll see the part where he trips and falls. This story, the passage begins this way, the very beginning of the epistle. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, we may, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He starts off saying, I've been through rough times, but God has always comforted me. This part, this is the part of the Bible that we understand. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So far, everything positive. Suffering has been nothing but good for everyone, which is effective for the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast. Because we know that as partakers of the sufferings, so you also will be partakers, partake of the consolation. So, so far, we're okay. St. Paul is saying, I've seen tough days, but God is good. And God has gotten, this is what we expect from St. Paul. But this is not what we expect what comes next. Look what he says here. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant brethren of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, 
so that we despaired even of life. Hold on, let's just go back and read that sentence again. Because it sounds like what St. Paul is saying, it can't be him saying it. He says, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, that we despaired even of life. What does despaired even of life mean? It means St. Paul, like we can say it. Don't, like, it sounds sacrilegious to say. St. Paul thought about just ending it. It'd be easier just to end this. I'm done with life. I can't take it. St. Paul is saying in this moment, I can't take it anymore. I was burdened beyond measure. And the word, okay, when it says our trouble, which came to us in Asia, the word trouble implies like pressure or stress. He was saying, I was under such great stress, such under great pressure. And you know, when you're under pressure and stress, dang, I can't take it. And we can't imagine the saints saying that. We imagine us saying that because we're not spiritual and we're not good guys and we're not as holy as they are and we're bad. That's what we always tell ourselves. We're failures. We can't imagine St. Paul saying, I can't take it anymore. I quit. But that's exactly what he's saying right here. What was it that made him so troubled? What was it that made him so stressed out? We don't know. He doesn't say exactly. Some people say it was like a physical illness. Some people say it was like, um, you know, something, you know, with his disciples and, and betrayed him and rejected and everyone left him. Some say it was like persecution. Most people, okay, including the camp that I would say, most likely related to nothing physical or in that realm. But it's most likely, like he said earlier, something related to the churches. And some people say this took place when he said this is after when he was one time in the city of Ephesus and he had been ministering there for a long time and preaching the gospel and then something happened and then there was a riot and many of the believers left and it looked like his years of labor in Ephesus was about to crumble and he poured his heart and soul into these people, into this church and it was all gonna collapse and everything was wasted and everyone hates his guts and the church is gonna disappear. So it was, maybe it was after that time that St. Paul was just feeling such stress. We don't know whatever it was. But whatever it was, it made the man of God say that we despaired even of life. And then he goes on. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death. See how he flipped right here? Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. St. Paul flips right here. Beginning, despaired of life. By the end, God takes care of all things. What we want to study here today and figure out is the connection between the two. Because we know this part. We know that I'm discouraged. We know that I can't take any more. And we read about that, but God is good and I trust God and God has a plan. We read about that. What we want to see here today, because we saw right in front of us right there, and we're going to break down this passage right here. And we're going to see what's the bridge between the two between the discouragement and the hope, and the, or the encouragement. And we're going to see that right here with St. Paul. And the key sentence was the one in the middle, which you see there on your screen right now, was that verse 9 where he said, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Write this one down if you're taking notes. Discouragement is the fruit of self-reliance. 100% of the time, discouragement is the direct fruit is directly correlated to self-reliance. What do I mean by that? What's self-reliance? Self-reliance is, I got this. I can do it. I'm capable of doing this. My skills, 
my abilities, my hard work. Like, I got this now. I should be able to handle this. And because I'm able to handle this, I'm expecting a certain result to take place. Discouragement comes when I'm expecting. If I had no expectation, I'd never be discouraged. But when I'm expecting that I got it, and then I fall short of what I was expecting, that's where discouragement comes from. Go back to St. Paul. Who is St. Paul? Who is Saul of Tarsus? Again, I told you, that name, Saul of Tarsus, you put that up on the bulletin board, and everyone says, ah, oh, big man. St. Paul of Tarsus, St. Saul of Tarsus, who became later St. Paul, was a rich man, was a noble person, was well-learned, was very eloquent in his speech, was strong and large in stature, and even stronger in mental capabilities. Okay, he was a Pharisee, but he wasn't just a Pharisee, so high-class Jew. He was rich enough and noble enough where he was able to purchase a Roman citizenship, which may not mean much to you right now, but Roman citizen is like the equivalent today of like an American citizen. So imagine somebody living in a poor country, name whatever country it is that you want, a slave country right now, but this person's walking around with an American passport. Someone walking, I, I, they, I don't want to say anything because of country, but just think of a poor country. All right, and someone had the ability to purchase an American passport. You say, whoa, this is a big man on campus right here. Well, that was St. Paul. St. Paul esteemed up here. He knew everything there was to know. He learned the scriptures at the hand of a famous teacher called Gamaliel, who was very, 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 very famous scholar, a rabbi. St. Paul knew all the right people. St. Paul always knew what to say. There was no situation where he couldn't handle on his own. But that doesn't work. Like that may have worked in his old life, but it doesn't work in his new life. Why? Why can self-reliance work in the world, but it can't work in Christianity? Because let's be honest, it can work in the world. It can. But it can't work in Christianity. Why? Why could it work for him before when he was doing things, worldly things, but it can't work when you're doing divine things? Why? Because by the very nature of Christianity, by the very nature of who we are as Christians, our task will always exceed our abilities. Call yourself a servant of a God. Call yourself a minister. Call yourself a missionary. Call yourself whatever it is that you want. Call yourself just a child of God. The task will always exceed your abilities. Outside in the world, you're doing worldly tasks. Yeah, you rely on yourself, you get stuff done. But here in Christianity, there's a sentence that says, oh, I don't know, be holy as I am holy, God says. There's a sentence that says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. There's a sentence that says, that not he who commits adultery commits adultery. He who looks after a woman to lust for her has committed adultery within his heart. There's a verse that doesn't say don't murder. It says don't be angry with your brother. That's equivalent to murder. The task will always exceed our abilities. And because the task exceeds our abilities, relying on yourself is a recipe for discouragement 100% of the time. What was St. Paul's task that he was trying to do right here? St. Paul's task, let's put this in perspective. His job was to preach Christianity to the Gentiles. His job was to preach Christianity to the Gentiles. Easy or hard? Let's get a little historical context. The Gentiles, okay, traditionally speaking, you have Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, how do they feel about each other? Jews hated Gentiles. Jews called Gentiles, forgive my expression, 
They called them dogs. And in fact, it was such commonplace language to refer to Gentiles as dogs that even our Lord Jesus Christ himself used the expression. It was commonplace. It wasn't derogatory. It was, they're dogs. We are the chosen people. These people hated these people. And because of that, these people hated these people even more. Like, you hate me, I hate you even more. You treat me like a dog, I hate you even more. And these people, not for 10 years, not for 20 years, not for centuries, but for thousands of years, this group and that group, no mixing. All of a sudden, Christianity comes along. And who are the main people who are in Christianity? Jews. The majority of Christians were Jews at the time. So now you have all these Jews saying, we believe in Jesus. But as far as they're concerned, they're still Jews. And it's ingrained in their head and their father's head and their grandfather's head and their great-grandfather and great-great-great-great-great thousands of centuries, thousands of years. We hate those people. And now here I am a Christian. And Paul's job is to go to the Gentiles and say, come join us. Come join these people who for years hated you. And I'll tell you what, not, not just that, not just join this group of people, not just join this group of people, but join this God who in fact, it seems like this people's God hates you. Like where did the Jews learn to hate the Gentiles? It was their God who told them that. So now go join their God and go join those set of people. And in case you don't believe me, I'll tell you why you should join. Because there was a carpenter who was killed and now he's alive. Trust me. I saw it with my own eyes. Well, I didn't, but someone told me about it. How do you feel about this mission right here? Go ahead, St. Paul. Go win the world over. That's mission impossible. Like if I told you today, let's just try to, let's try to make it. Let's say you invent a religion today. Call it whatever you want. Call it whatever religion that you want. Okay, it doesn't matter. Because Christianity at the time was a new religion. No one had heard of it. Invent this religion. Go to the Middle East. Go to the whole, go to Jerusalem, go to Palestine right there, where you have the Muslims and the Jews who have hated each other for hundreds of years. And go and say, guys, I have a new religion. I want you all to join with me. How likely do you think you'd be to find success there? So you get these group of people who hate each other to join this new religion. That was St. Paul's task. On top of that, St. Paul never complained, never did anything. All his disciples left him. His family disowned him. He was a wanted man by both the Jews and the non-Jews. Everyone hated his guts. He had this impossible mission. He had no support to do it. And now all of a sudden, it seems like God kind of let him down. My question to you, if you're God, like you're God, here's St. Paul. He's got mission impossible. He's not doing it for his own sake. Like he's not making money off this. He's not doing it for fun. He's doing it to try to serve you. Why do you let him get discouraged like that? Like, why not, God, throw him a bone? Like, do a miracle. Here, part, you know, the lake. Not the river, not the sea, just part of the lake. Or, you know, uh, bring a whole bunch of people. Like I said in Ephesus, the people all ride it. Bring a whole bunch of people to say, okay, we hate them, we join you. Like, give him some encouragement. Like, give him a lightning bolt to his enemy. Like, something. Like, give him a bone. Like, he's doing this for you. Why would God not encourage him. God had the ability to encourage him. And in fact, at the beginning of Paul's ministry, he was going around doing miracles. It says that the stuff from his body, the, the, the rags from his body would cause diseases to go away from people, cast out demons. Why God would not throw him a bone right here? Well, I just told you the answer. God allows us to be discouraged to teach us that we can't do it alone. 
God had to break St. Paul's self-reliance, and the only way to do it was to allow him to be a little discouraged. What's the difference between someone who relies on God and relies on himself? Here I am. Let's take me as an example. I rely on God. If I rely on God, I say, God, this church is yours. It's your ministry. It's your church. It's your people. And whatever the results are, I live with it because it's God's. If it's me, then I need everyone to like me. And that person's upset. Oh, I can't let that person be upset because then I let God down and I failed God. And if it's me and I preach a good sermon, I'm the man. I'll say the right words and I'll say, no, thank God, whatever. I'll say all the right things. But in my heart, that's right. And if I preach a bad one, I kick myself and I kill myself. If I'm relying on God, personal, and my personal spiritual life, relying on God, I say, I'm a sinner. I say, and I'm really, I'm a sinful person. And when I sin, I am not surprised. Because I know it's only by the grace of God that I do anything that I do. So you know what? If I fell today, I repent. Thank you, God, for your grace. And if I'm successful tomorrow, it's only by God's grace. Rely on myself? No, I should be better than this. Rely on the people who struggle with guilt a lot. Guilt over sin. Self-reliance. 100%. Because I should be better than this. I should be able to handle this by now. I should be above this by now. One of the things that we, I've learned about Christianity... And y'all will agree with me on this. Saying I rely on God is the number one easiest thing in the world to say. And you can say it in a thousand, like there's all kinds of Christian jargon that you can use to say I rely on God. I trust in God, I have faith, surrender, submit, like say whatever word that you want. Easy to say, easy to sing songs about it, easy to read books about it. But it's the hardest thing to actually do. And what I discovered is you can't sing a song to teach you this. You can't read a book to teach you to trust in God. The only way is experience. The only way is to be discouraged and to do like St. Paul said, that I had the sentence of death in myself. Why? That I should not trust in myself, but in God who raises the dead. True story. All along throughout this series, those who have been here, I've been sharing like sermon fails of mine. Okay, like different ways that I failed in sermons. Because everyone thinks that you know, I give great sermons and never make mistakes. I shared some very funny stories. And they're funny and we laugh and all that kind of stuff. But just realize, just realize that some of the things that are funny today aren't, wasn't so funny at the time. And I say, like, I'm being honest, okay? Being honest, like St. Paul was being honest. That there was a time I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to the point that you may not ever see it, I don't think you'd ever see it, because I'm good at acting, just like you're good at acting in front of others as well, is that I would say that I was pretty discouraged. Again, on Sundays, you'd never see it, because stand up here and do my job, okay, perfect. But on the inside, there was discouragement. And you know why it's easy to get discouraged in this job? This job in particular. Because let's say you did, you kicked butt one Sunday. Best sermon you ever preached in your whole life. Guess what's just six days away? Another Sunday. Where you got to go up and do the same thing. And then you know what happens six days after that? Another Sunday. You can't, imagine you got the worst deadline in the world. Like you got a deadline at work and it's a tough deadline. And it's this, this, and that. And you say, whoo, I did it. You wake up the next morning, you say you got another deadline six days away. Equally big. Actually, no, bigger. 
Every week it gets bigger because every week the pressure gets a little bit more because the expectations get a little bit higher. And there was a time several years ago where this was me. And I remember, you can even ask my wife, I was not a pleasant person to be around on Saturdays. You do not want to be around me on Saturdays because I would stress myself out. Nobody stressed me out. This is not to blame anybody. This is just me. I stressed myself out. I would make myself sick sometimes. With, I was snappy. I was irritable. I want anyone to come near me. And I was just a grumpy person. And because I'm a priest and I know the Bible verses, I spiritualized it as faithful to my calling, as a faithful steward of what God, and, like I know the verses. And it's a dangerous thing when you know the verses and you can spiritualize anything. Truth of the matter is, it was a lie. The truth was that I was relying on myself. I was not relying on God. It was all about me. And it was about me doing a good job. It was about me looking in front of the mirror and saying, you're a good man. You did a good job. But of course, again, I spiritualized it. And I would say the old, what I call the good luck prayer. You know the good luck prayer? Okay, which is that it's all me, but then like, please God bless this. That's the good luck prayer. And that's the way I lived for that time. Well, one summer, actually, I was in Africa with Father Elisha, but not with him at the time, okay? It was with God at the time, but he was around, okay? I was in Africa, and God convicted me of this so clearly. And he told me, it is not about you. And he told me that so clearly, that you, saying like to me, have made this all about you. And it is not about you. And I still remember it so clearly. God told me something, and, I, and I've said this, I say this to priests all the time, okay, because I know in our line of business, it's, it's easy to struggle with this. So I tell this to people all the time, and it applies to every area. God asking me a question. If you, this is God speaking to me, let's say you, Father Anthony, you gave the best sermon ever. Like the best sermon ever. The people not cried and clapped and then they cried more, and then they clapped more. And they cried and clapped the whole way. It was the best summer in the whole wide world. People came and kissed your feet. Do you think I'll love you more? And I said, what's the answer to that? No. You won't love me more? Because I know that because I'm the priest. I preach that. No, you won't love me more. He said, okay, okay, forget about that. That's how you gave the worst sermon ever. People got up and left. People got up and left, went to their car, got something, came back and threw it at you. Do you think I'll love you less? And I said, no. I don't think you'll love me any less. He said, okay. Now we're good. He said, just keep that in mind. Like with y'all, I always say, God is to each as they are. So if you're a sensitive, sweet person, God is sweet and sensitive to you. I'm more of a knucklehead, so God's kind of like a, okay, you got it now? Like, stop telling other people that it doesn't matter. And stop telling other people not to rely on themselves and get it through your thick head. And I'm like, oh, okay. And ever since then, I'll be honest for me, ever since then, you know the feeling that I felt then was a feeling of freedom. Why? Because now, again, you may not notice the difference because there isn't a... Uh, hopefully the difference is positive, but I'm saying you may not notice the difference on the outside, but there's a big difference on the inside. On the inside now, I give it my best and I prepare and I take this job very seriously. And if you knew how many hours I put into every Sunday, you'd be, most people are surprised. I take this very seriously and I schedule a lot of time. I like to be prepared. But in the end, I give it my best, whatever it is, it is. And you love me, thank you. And you hate me, stinks for you. 
And now honestly, honestly, the stuff that I used to say before, now I say inside. That I don't take any credit. I prepare. I give it my best. God makes it great, great. God make. And to be honest, what I discovered is no such thing as a great sermon or a bad sermon. One person sitting there said, this is the worst sermon ever. This person here changed their life. And I see people all the, all the time like that. I was like, just someone on Friday night was telling me that same thing. That I heard the sermon and I changed my life and this and that. And another person was saying, what's your name again? Like, same sermon, same people sitting there. Okay? Happens all the time. My question to you. In what area are you saying I can do this? In what area are you relying solely on yourself? You may be saying the right things. That God, my future is in your hands. You're saying it, but you're not really living it. That your future is actually in your own hands. And your future, actually, you got a plan, and your God is not really cooperating with your plan, so you're kind of discouraged, and, and it's not really working out the way you had planned to be. So you, what are you trying to be? Self-reliant. It's Father's Day. Parents, moms, dads. None of us know how to raise our kids. Like, don't tell this to the kids. Don't tell the kids here. None of us know what we're doing. We have no idea. There ain't no manual. You buy a VCR, manual like this. Oh, you don't have VCRs these days. What y'all like? DVD player, or, I don't know, whatever, okay? Back in our day, it was VCR. And we just, manual this thick. Y'all remember? Uh, do y'all remember programming a VCR? You guys remember that? Is that anyone remember how to program a VCR? I remember reading a manual, like 13 chapters, it seemed like, to how to program a VCR to record something from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And it was honestly the most complicated thing in the whole wide world. And then they give you a baby. Say, good luck. <laughs> We're relying on ourselves. Any area that you are discouraged comes down to self-reliance. Some people as friends, you feel like you have to be there for all your friends, which sounds really spiritual, and it sounds really good. But it isn't good if it's all about you. And it's all about, no, I got to be there for this. And I got to be there for that. And I got to be there for that. And you are putting it all on yourself. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 5. Great verse, that if we truly believed it, make a difference in our lives. That I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do. Say it with me. You can do. Say it again. You can do nothing. Let me be honest with you. A person who expects himself to be able to do nothing will never be discouraged. A person who expects nothing of himself will never be discouraged. The reason we're discouraged is because we say it, but we don't believe it. We say it, but we don't believe it. We say, Lord, I can do nothing without you. But in our mind, no, yes, we can. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. The only way to break the pattern of self-reliance, the only way to break the pattern of self-reliance is for God to allow him to be discouraged. Now watch, I'm going to give you the worst news right now in the whole wide world. I'm going to tell you something right now that you have been probably taught all of your adult Christian life. You've probably been taught the exact opposite of what I'm about to say right here, right now. And this is the worst news for you. You're coming to church today to hear the exact opposite of what I'm about to say. Ready? God broke Paul's discouragement by giving him more than he could handle. Isn't that the exact opposite of everything we're taught? God gave him more than he could handle. And you say, hey, wait a minute. 
doesn't the Bible say God doesn't give us more than we can handle? Doesn't the Bible say that? It's like saying, doesn't the Bible, it's people saying, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? One of those made up things that we say the Bible says. Find me where it says that in the Bible. It doesn't say that in the Bible. The Bible says that God will not tempt us beyond what we were able, will not tempt us more than we can bear, but it never says God cannot give it, will not give us more than we can handle. In fact, I would say the Bible teaches the exact opposite, that God on a regular basis gives people more than they can handle. Why? To teach them to trust in him. To teach them that they cannot do it. God has put, uh, look, look, use myself as an example. God has given me more than I can handle. You're a priest, go preach. I'm not a preach. I didn't learn this stuff in school. And again, there's no, nothing you read to teach you. Go raise kids. I'm not gonna raise kids. Go help people make big decisions and instruct people and give spiritual guidance. I'm not doing that stuff. Go lead a church. I don't know how to do that stuff. Like I've struggled to be a member of the church, not be a leader of a church. God asks us all the time to do stuff that we can't handle. And the reason that he does it is to break our self-reliance. And yes, that may lead to some discouragement. But realize that the discouragement is a part of the process to get us to really trusting and relying on God. Go back to this verse right here. I want to say this verse a few times, and I want this verse to sink in our heads. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I love that sentence. Let's say that. Can we say that sentence together? I want, I want that sentence to really get in our head. Say it together. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You can put that sentence on every situation in your life. We had the sentence of, and then fill in the blank, sentence of death in whatever situation. Why? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises us from the dead, who did deliver us, who does deliver us, and will still deliver us who did deliver us, who does deliver us, and will still deliver us. Put, fill in the blank with whatever it is that you want right there. What area you're discouraged in. You say, we had the sense of death in this area, in my academic life, or in my family life, or in my marriage, or in my future, or in my finances. I had the sense of death in that area, in my finances, that I should not trust in my finances, but in God who raises the dead, even the dead financially. And I trust in, in my marriage, and my ability, but in God who raises even the dead marriage. Put whatever area you're discouraged in, fill in the blank right there. And you will find great hope, as St. Paul found right here. That we may have the sentence of death in ourselves, but we have a God who delivers us from death itself. I'm telling you, that sentence is a beautiful sentence. I'm gonna challenge you to memorize that sentence. Anyone who's struggling with discouragement, take that one, 2 Corinthians 1.9. I just want to tend to show you, but it's 2 Corinthians 1.9. We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Beautiful sentence. I'm running out of time, but I want to do three quick, super quick decisions to make today to help you live this verse. That's the big picture. We had a sense of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Three quick points of ways to apply this. Three things that you can do, and that I put in your handout, choices that you can make. Three choices, three things that you can choose to do to help live this life. And I'll go through them quick. Number one, choose to rejoice. Choose to rejoice. Rejoicing is not something, those people are happy people, those people are sad people, those people are joyful, those people are miserable. It's not something that's ingrained inside of us. It is a choice that we make. St. James says it this way in James 1, 2. He says, my brethren, 
count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Key word there is the word count. Y'all know what the word count means? Use that word count. Any accountants in the room? Accountants, your job is to count. Not count like one, two, three, four, five. Count like I give you a receipt, okay? Here's a receipt right here. And you say, okay, this, I count it against this, against this. I count this as a, uh, you know, um, a debit. I count this as a credit. And I'm sure there's other more eloquent things, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's a decision that this right here, I put this in which category? Here's a trial. Most of us count it as end of the world. Here's, here's affliction, end of my joy, end of my life, end of my, end, end of my, my hope. That's how we count it. And St. James here says, here's, misery, here's a, a tribulation. Put it in the joy pile. That's a choice you make. Here's a tough situation at home. This is going to be tough. Joy. I choose to rejoice over this. Not easy, but a decision that you can make. No one tells you what to count your trials as. You decide that. And connected with, with choosing to rejoice, number two, choose to give thanks. Choose to give thanks. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Believe me, believe me, the happiest people in this world are not people who have something inside them which makes them not care about the circumstances of life. The happiest people, and actually we saw this when we did that Seeking Happiness event. We saw that there is a piece of our happiness and joy which is inside of us. Some people are predisposed in some way to a degree, but there's a big portion of it that is the choices that we make. The happiest people are not the people who have the least trials. Are the people who are just born with it? It's the people who choose to give thanks and choose to say, I will rejoice in this situation and I will not let this discourage me. How, number three, choose to look at the unseen. Choose to look at the unseen. What do I mean when I say choose to look at the unseen? I have to be able to do number three in order to do one and two in the long term. Like I can trick myself into one and two today, but long term, I need to be able to do number three. Number three connects to this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter four. Again, this is all the same epistle that we've been looking at where St. Paul is pouring out his heart. And he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. You can substitute lose heart for get discouraged. Therefore, we do not get discouraged. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. What's his light affliction? Was that laundry list of things that happened to him? Our light affliction. See how he's choosing to count it? Okay, our light affliction. I put it in the light pile. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's a choice you make. It's a choice you make. Here comes the trial. You count it as joy. You count it as thanks. And how do you do that? Because you look beyond what you see, and you look to the unseen. And you look like St. Paul said, this tribulation is hard, but God... I really want to rely on you. So if it takes this tribulation to get me to rely on you, I'll take it. 
and I will give thanks, and I will rejoice, because I see that my light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Because I look at the things which are not seen, not the things which are seen, because the things that are seen are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things that are not seen, those are the eternal ones. It's a choice that each one of us has to make. Wrap up with this. Unfortunately, even though you thought and I thought for years, God never gives us more than we can handle. Truth of the matter is that God does give us more than, he, than we can handle, but he never gives us more than he can handle. And that's the key point to hold on to. Can I say something honest and don't be offended by it, but I'm saying this out of pure love because I myself walk the same road, so I'm, I'm being honest here with you. I remember several years ago, I did a series. It was called The Practical Atheist. It was based on a book called The Christian Atheist. And the whole premise of, of the book and slash the series was that many of us proclaim to believe in God, but practically we live as atheists because we say we believe in God, but we live as if he doesn't exist. And now, can I be honest here? This topic, discouragement, self-reliance, this condemns us. Because if we believed what we say, if we believed, we really believed in the God that we talk about, that we tell others about, that we read about and that we preach about, if we really believed in that God, I'm not going to say we'd never be discouraged because we are human beings and even Paul got discouraged. We, I'm not saying in that way. Please don't take it that way. But what I'm saying is we wouldn't live in the state of perpetual discouragement that many of us find ourselves in. Be it spiritually, be it relationally, be it any aspect of our lives. We have a God who is with us and he promised that he would never leave us. And if we really believe that, it would change the way we viewed some of our circumstances. Again, from my heart, two groups of people. Group of people in this room walking with God, doing their best. Group of people in this room not walking with God. God is on one side of the room, I'm on the other. I like to visit him on Sundays, but I'm not really walking with him Monday through Friday. Two different things I want to say to these two groups of people. Group not walking with God. Not walking with God. Think you can do it on your own. Your own, the results that you see in your life today are directly correlated with the decisions that you made yesterday. You are not walking with God and you find yourself frustrated and discouraged and nothing seems to be working right. For my sake, on me, on me. Give God's ways a try. Give it a try. Money back guarantee. Give God's way a try and say, God, I have been walking arm's length from you for quite some time right now because I'm not really convinced that you're gonna make my life any better. I got enough problems in my life. I don't need to add any more. For my sake, Give it a try and say, God, you know what? I'm going to embrace you and I'm going to embrace your ways and I'm going to do my best to be pleasing to you even though I don't see how it's going to make me happy. It's going to make me more miserable. But God, I'm putting my trust in you, not in anyone else. Give God a try on me. Those of you who are walking next to God, who are walking with God, who are striving, who are living that life, have a relationship with God and trying to do things his way, but still struggling with discouragement. We need to believe the stuff that we say. And we need to believe 
that when we say we rely on God, we need to really rely on God. And that means that when we say we rely on God and he gives us something that's outside of our plan, outside of our control, outside of our ability, then we say, you know what, God, when I say I rely on you and I trust you, it ain't just words out my mouth. I'm really going to live it and I'm going to let go and I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to trust that even though I have the sentence of death in myself, I believe in God who raises the dead on a regular basis. And I believe, in fact, that the reason you gave me the sentence of death is that I should not trust in myself, but in God who raises the dead. If we approach the challenges of our life with this self-reliance in mind, it'll, cha- it'll transform the way we look at the things in our life. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for this example that you gave us today. And you showed us how someone great, like St. Paul, so strong, so courageous, so full of you, we see how he could be down. Lord, thank you for not hiding the weaknesses of your, of your saints from us, but giving them to us to encourage us. And I pray, Lord, for anyone today who is discouraged, and who's beaten down by discouragement and just feels like they don't even want to get up in the morning, don't even want to come to church and pray, don't, can't, can't even stand to pray. Lord, you know how so many times your servants, how we feel that way. But Lord, we trust in you and we believe in you that even though we may have more in our place than we can handle, we never have more than you can handle. Give us, Lord, to stop relying solely on ourselves, but to trust in you, you who raised the dead, who did deliver us, who does deliver us, and will still deliver us, for no matter what it is that comes in front of us. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in you and in your son. Thank you for the joy that you give to us that cannot be taken away. Thank you for all the unseen that you are doing behind the scenes, Lord. Give, our, give us to open our eyes and be able to see the, that great thing that you're doing inside of us even when the tribulation comes. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.